Blog Talk Radio. Pause I Am Radio with your host, Robert Brining, sharing stories from across the United States and around the world. To join the conversation, call 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. Each week, we'll bring you our exclusive HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause I Am Radio. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Pause I Am Radio. This is Robert Brining. I am joined, of course, by the fabulous Brady Dalmaris. Hello, Brady. Welcome back to the country. Uh, thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure to be back. Um, but I'm not coming from you or to you uh, from Nashville today. I'm actually in Russellville, Arkansas. I'm here to uh, attend my boyfriend's brother's wedding, where he is marrying his partner today. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, so always on the go, never a dull moment. Always, yeah, you've had a crazy, you have had a crazy, crazy week. Um, actually, last couple of days, I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about that. So, um, yeah, I wanna talk about like what, what you did in Panama. Like, tell everybody because it's amazing. Um, so I went to uh, Panama. They were having it was the eighth encounter of people living with HIV, um, and it is a Central American conference. There were Representatives there from Belize, Honduras, El Salvador, uh, Panama, Guatemala, uh, just every Central American country. And um, I gave a presentation on U equals U to a room full of people living with HIV who had never heard this message before. And I had given the uh, U equals U presentation many times uh, to like health department officials and providers. And this was my first time to actually do the presentation to a room full of people living with HIV who had never heard this message. And I cannot describe the feeling um, of getting to share this message with people. And as I spoke and as these people were, were comprehending what I was saying, uh, the, the, the change of emotion, the looks on their faces is something that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. Um, I, at the very end of the, after I gave my presentation, there was a woman who told me that she has been living with HIV for over 15 years, um, and she has been undetectable for most of that time. Her partner is also HIV positive and undetectable, and they had still been using a condom for the past 10 years. Um, anytime they had uh, intercourse, fearing that they would cause a, you know, an, a super strain of HIV and getting to tell her that her and her partner could be intimate with one another without fear and the just watching her grasp that, um, it, how it just changed her life instantly was very touching, very moving. Um, and I didn't realize as well that this was the first time any type of ambassador had been to Central America to share this U equal U message. And so it, it was an absolute honor and a privilege to get to get to go. And I want to thank the Prevention Access Campaign and, and Bruce for sending me uh, to, to do this. It was, it was an amazing opportunity and one that, like I said, I will carry with me to 
my last dying breath. Yeah, I watched some of that um, on live. I saw you paste, you posted a video afterwards, I think, right, of your presentation. And it was interesting because you had uh, somebody there who was translating it into, uh, you know, Spanish for the people who were there. So what was that like to have an interpreter there? You know, that was also very interesting. Um, We didn't get to, we didn't have a chance to rehearse, practice, or anything. But the flow, it was really smooth. Um, and there were there were some people in the room who who, who spoke English. Um, and I'll be honest, I was a little nervous uh, going in there um, as a white gender male um, giving this message. And afterwards, the some of the people who put on the conference told me that that is ridiculous of me uh, to to have even thought that because they were like you coming here, it only reinforced just how much of an international message this is and how much of an international campaign this really is. So that meant a lot to me as well. Um, but it was, it was a, a lot of firsts for me and, uh, and, uh, and beyond grateful that I got to have the opportunity. Yeah, it looked incredible. I was, uh, watching from afar and, and cheering you on. I know you had, uh, you know, an emotional up and down week of good and bad. And so I'm just glad that you kind of ended it on a good note. And, and, you know, now you're there at the wedding on fun, you know, today and, and having yes. a good time with your boyfriend. And I'm just excited that you guys are back together. You know, I've been following it online, so it's nice to see, um, you know, what you're yeah. doing. And I'm proud of you. I'm glad, I'm glad the first time I, I thought I appreciate it was that. perfect. Well, yeah, I was a little nervous because, like you said, Monday, just, I mean, it'll be a week tomorrow. I lost my best friend of almost 10 years, my dog, Gabby Gale, um, who I got literally about two months before my HIV diagnosis. And she was my best friend. Um, I've cried many, many tears into her coat, and she helped me through a lot of rough times. And having to bury her last Monday, um, literally the day before I left, was, uh, was rough. But I know that she would have wanted me to to go on, and I know I even just to I took her collar with me, and and it was on my nightstand uh, next to me while I was there. So I had her with me in Panama, and uh-huh. so it was a uh, it was a rough week, but everything um, everything went the way it was supposed to go. So. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad that you are are doing well and and right now are in good hands. So I want to move on to um, today's guest, uh, Billy Eugene Willis III, our our buddy Billy from the conference of Positive Living. I met him last year for the first time. Um, actually, that was when I met you, Brady. Yes, it was. So um, it sure was. You know, it was a first for for a lot of things. So I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, Billy, in his bio, he uh, is an activist based out of uh, Central North Carolina. He's been living with HIV for five years and advocating for HIV for the past four. Uh, He was on the task force of people living with HIV and HIV professionals that helped um, the North Carolina Health Department HIV control measure. And he has had many roles in advocacy, but uh, his favorite has been uh, being a youth ambassador at the Youth Across Borders, where he visited Honduras and spoke to youth uh, living there with HIV, which is uh, kind of cool because you did something similar to that. So we can kind of 
kind of touch on that and, and uh, you guys can uh, share about what that experience is like because that's something I've never done. I've gone somewhere and advocated and uh, helped others who are uh, maybe less fortunate than us. So I, I kind of want to touch on that and see uh, what kind of has in common with the both of you. So let's go ahead and bring on. Hello, Billy. How are you? Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, Super Billy. excited to be on today. Hey, Brady. Yeah, we're glad to finally have you on. You're a busy man. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying for a while. <laughs> I'm glad to be on there. <laughs> uh, so, Billy, uh, thanks for coming on. I, I, you know, since this is your first time coming on, I kind of want to start with uh, basically your diagnosis and, and what it was like for you five years ago when you got your diagnosis. Uh, tell us what made you get tested and kind of, uh, you know, how, how that started for you. Was it something you did on a regular basis? Wow. Or? Well, actually, I used to get tested on a regular basis, but um, my actually what prompted me to get tested and you know eventually find out that I had HIV was uh, being in the hospital on my birthday. So <laughs> I had a seroconversion sickness, and it was super bad, and I just didn't know what it was. I went to a rural hospital in North Carolina, and uh, they said I had a virus and gave me morphine and sent me home. <laughs> So a week later, wow. I get woken up to my ex-fiance telling me that I need to get tested for HIV, and that's how my journey began. <laughs> so you got tested. Was it something that um, – well, you said it was something that you kind of did get tested on a regular basis? Yeah, before that, I was uh, with him for about six years, and before that, I would get tested – Every four months, I think. Every it was like four times a year, because I was in college and there was a lot of, you know, wild stuff back then. So <laughs> I like to be safe. Right. Right. So you're sitting in the hospital. You said on your birthday, and they're saying that yep. you want that you should get tested for HIV. What are your thoughts? Well, no, then? they did not tell me that actually no. at the hospital. And oh. um, you know, when you look back at it, when I went to a bigger hospital, they were like, you know, that's kind of obvious. You know, you had the, the intense migraine. You were feeling like you had the flu or something. Like, at one point, I, I don't even think I could see straight. Like, my head just hurt so bad. And it was, like, a good two weeks. So I had no clue. I thought, honestly, I had meningitis for a little while. It was that bad. But my ex so that when you never got sick at all. <laughs> yeah. I was, well, you know, it's, I guess it's different with with individuals. Um, so, yeah, so exactly. when and you went and eventually, say that again, you did or well, didn't? I, I did not test positive for four more months almost. So it was, uh, it was an intense journey because he had tested positive the week, eight, week later. And, uh, it was very nerve wracking for me because I knew what was, what was coming because of the sickness. So, right. it was so very you, -wracking. you were, you were you were one of those who experienced symptoms of of your seroconversion before you were actually diagnosed. Exactly, and it's very rare I hear, but it was so intense. <laughs> I've never felt so bad. I know for like a month afterwards, like I barely ate anything. I I just couldn't do anything. I had no energy. Like even after the headache just went away, and it really just went away one day. So it was, See, that's, it was that's important wild. to point out. <laughs> I think that's an important thing to to point out to to our listeners. Like, mm -hmm. I know, like myself, when I was diagnosed with AIDS, I had not, 
I, I was not experiencing fatigue, any kind of symptoms. I felt just fine. I hadn't been sick in forever, you know, and then I came back with a diagnosis of AIDS. Um, but it, so it's, it's different for everybody. There's no set way to tell when you've contracted HIV. So I think that's really important for, um, point to point out to our listeners. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's interesting. There's always symptoms. I was just saying for myself, I, you know, when I was diagnosed, I had no symptoms at all. And I didn't start medicine for nine years without, I still didn't have symptoms even then. It was just, it was a good idea at the time, you know, to, to, for me to start. It was a decision I had to make, but uh, I didn't, I never had symptoms. So like you said, it does vary with every, each individual. Yeah, exactly. And then like, even like six months later, like when I had my first labs, like my um my power load was like seven hundred. Like it really, it really like affected me differently. So, well, Billy, let me ask you: What after you were diagnosed five years ago, and, and about a year after your diagnosis, is when you got into advocacy and um, advocacy work? What prompted you to to, be, to go on that path? Well, I had, uh, of course, you know, finding out that information and everything changed my life. So. It took a while to adjust, um, but I was laying in bed one day, like, super depressed, and my mom was like, you could let this break you or make you, and I guess I took it a little too literally <laughs> and just uh-huh. jumped right into the advocacy. <laughs> uh, so I started a support group with one of my good friends from high school that had also been diagnosed um, maybe a year or so before I had, and uh, we were super great friends, so it brought us together and it gave us a you know, a place to be and meet and hang out and uh, just be ourselves uh, and still live with HIV in the South, which is carries a big stigma anyway. But in the South, it, sometimes it's a little bit worse, I feel, because, right, can, you know, there's so many different relate. You know, towards sex and then homosexuality. And... Right. So we just well, uh, started so, meeting. <laughs> so then you, so you started with, um, with this support group, um, what was what was your next next thing that you moved on to? Oh gosh, uh, well I was the only support group in my area for like fifty or so miles, and it was more of a social group really. I mean, you know, sometimes support is social, uh, so that's what we really tried to focus on. And we would go to conferences and stuff. You know, we try to educate ourselves because there wasn't a lot right. of information about it, like. U equals U was just really getting out there. Prep had just really been promoted, like in our area. So there's a lot of new information out there, and you know, we just felt like we needed to better ourselves so we could uh, make a difference in our own community and our lives. So we just uh, started going to conferences and just started going to Pride events. We set our own booth up, and you know, we just go from there. And people saw what we were doing, and started asking to do more and just kind of took me off from there. Well, in, in really? that, uh, in that light of doing more, I'm, I've been dying to talk to you more about your, your youth across borders that, um, and you going to Honduras, especially with me yeah. getting back from Panama, uh, and yeah. getting to meet uh, some people from Honduras. Um, so tell us about how you got involved with, with youth across borders and about that experience. Yeah, I I loved your Panama pictures. We'll have to talk about that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> across borders, uh, 
uh, this advocate named C.J. Stabinski out of Ohio. Um, he does he runs and does marathons and raises awareness and I've yeah, been following been on him the show. for a while. Yeah, like uh, he's a great guy, very vocal, and I'd seen it for like a couple years, but I was like, you know, I'm too old for that. And, uh, I was over like 25 or 26, and I think that was what it was posted um, as a cutoff, so I never applied. And then uh, one year, well, last year, I was like, you know what, I'm going to ask. So I asked, and I had misread it. So I applied, and the next thing I know, I'm being accepted. We're doing conference calls and trainings, and you know, it was just amazing, like, how quick it went after I applied. Um, and then, uh, so then was, well, just tell us about when you got to Honduras. What um, what did you do there? Oh gosh, when I got to Honduras, it was amazing. Um, so we left North Carolina, and the day before there was a tsunami and an earthquake in Honduras. So I got oh, down wow. there thinking, okay, wow, this is already intense. <laughs> Um, so my nerves, like I'm jittery, like I've never flown out of the country before. <laughs> so we get down there. <laughs> yeah, it was my first international trip and it was, it was super nerve wracking at first. Um, but once I got on the plane, I kind of just, you knew, I knew that, you know, it had to happen. I wasn't going to be able to turn back at that point. So I kind of <laughs> let those, you know, pre, pre, uh, pre-existing ideas of what this place is going to be like, um, what the people are going to be like, uh, just go because I was about to find out. <laughs> um, and when I get down there, uh, we all assemble in, well, half the team uh, assembled in, I think it was Atlanta, and the other half was in Houston. So we all got down there, and we've been talking to these people online, um, on the phone, but this was the first time we were all meeting. Um, and you could just see across, like, the other uh, ambassadors, they were all nervous too. <laughs> so I feel a lot better. Um, and we get there, we, we exchange money at the airport because we've been warned, you know, don't just exchange money with anybody. Um, right. And then we found our like National Guard security, um, <laughs> which was interesting. There were two armored guards on motorcycles following us around, and uh, we had to leave the capital. It was it was pretty intense. <laughs> And we, right. we get out um, of the airport and drive about an hour or so uh, to the east. Um, and I tell you what, that was the most, like, the scariest, like, car ride I've ever had. Down in central, like, Honduras, like, the way they drive is completely different. Like, it was <laughs> absolutely terrifying. <laughs> so we uh, finally get to you. Um, yes. Did you see that too, Brady, while you were down there? <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah. It was. Uh, it was. A, it was scarier than a cab ride in New York City. <laughs> it was terrifying, and I just knew that we were going to hit somebody, and we were just going to keep driving. <laughs> but it never. But just happened. About, just about every car I saw in Panama had like like dents in them and scratches all the way down the side because they just like they don't like. Was, you're supposed to yield or whatever. They just go. <laughs> they just yeah, go. Yeah, they and were I was, getting it. I swear. Yes. Oh, uh, and there was a well, lot so of the what, older what cars city, too. What city uh, were you actually in? The we first got to um, was Tegucigalpa, the capital, and then we went to uh, Nueva Esperanza, um, where Montana del Luz is. Um, it's about an hour, and it's kind of rural. Um, when we got there, it was like we were basically in a little bubble. I loved it. Um, but it's uh, it was some kind of a 
community development after the hurricane in the 90s that never actually took off. Uh, so there was actually a good bit of infrastructure for um, a rural place. And, uh, you know, the facilities oh, once we got there. So what? Were you working primarily with just youth, or were you working with with all ages of people? And were these people um, all living with HIV that you were that you were working with? Well, what it was is uh, Montana Del Luz used to be a hospice for children, um, you know, dying of HIV and AIDS because whenever it first started, they didn't have the medications. Um, even you right. know, after better medications were developed, it took a while for them to get down there. So when the children started living, um, it turned into an orphanage. And not all of the children have uh, HIV, but some of their siblings come with them. And medication is free in Honduras, but getting the medication is one of the bigger issues. Um, Not all the children there uh, were actually orphans the the way we would think of them, um, because they did have families that just couldn't really keep up with the needs of the child. So they thought that was a better option for uh, their kids' you know, overall well-being. And the kids, uh, I think the youngest one was six months old. And the older older ones, um, they move out of the orphanage, and they've got a house in the capital of Tegucigalpa. And they moved them there once they're, I think, 18 or somewhere around there. Um, right. So it's split up. And then there's another house. Uh, a split off from the orphanage as well for the, uh, I guess, teenagers. Like after you turn 13 or so, you go to the, the house down the mountain and you go to school and everything down there. And so you're, you know, the younger kids are taught up on the uh, the compound, I guess. Right. So it was a, a it was just like a regular, I guess, you know, boarding school, I could, you could say, like here. Um, so, uh, you know, the kids, they were all running about their daily lives. Um, you know, the older kids, some of them were still in summer school. Uh, the kids in the city, they were, you know, working and living their lives. And the younger kids, they were up there. We'd had uh, workshops with them. Um, we did try to incorporate some stuff, you know, about HIV. But honestly, those kids were well-educated about HIV. That's awesome. Like, yeah, because a lot of them were born with it. Um, so they kind of, right. like, I guess they use it as their outlet to understand everything. And, you know, they go around and they have this, uh, what they call it, uh, Charla Deleuze, where they go around to different uh, groups within their community and give a, like a, kind of like a play on HIV education. And it's probably one of the more modern presentations I've ever seen. <laughs> like these gotcha. kids really well, knew their stuff. How do the yeah. children. I just wanted to real quick ask, uh, how did the children, like, respond to you? Yeah. Well, at first, they were a little standoffish, but just like any kid, um, after, like, two or three days, they were, like, attached to our hips. Um, a couple of them, you know, never really engaged a lot, and we were warned before we got there, you know, don't take it personally. Um, yeah. But you know, eventually all the youth ambassadors, we were like surrounded by children at least. It was, it was great. Um, I have, uh, well, well, I guess, uh, one of the older kids when we, uh, went down and had our talk, when we had like a, a more intimate talk with the older kids, you know, we had them ask us questions and stuff. Um, 
and we ask them questions, kind of like an hour game night down there. Um, you know, some of the things they were asking, you know, they were, um, they were like, uh, you know, transgender uh, people came up, uh, you know, U equals U came up. Um, you know, these kids really had some great questions. And they, they really oh, wow. opened up a lot. And, like, well, uh, even, uh, like, a career aspect of it came up. And uh, do what? I was going to say, um, that's all amazing. Uh, just in wrapping up the work that you did down there, how how has your experience of going down there made you appreciate your life here in the United States or, or what you have here? Has it changed your outlook or changed the way you look at yourself, having having seen um, the way – you know, life is in another country? God, yes, it did actually greatly. Um, when I got back, I was, I, I don't know, like, it was like a cry of, like, I don't know. It's like, not America's worse. We're just different than a lot of places that aren't as developed. And it's not a bad thing, but it made me question a lot of the things that I do that I thought brought me happiness. And it made me cut out a lot of those. Like, I moved um, out of the town I was living in. It was a little dot in the middle of nowhere. And I wasn't happy there for a while. So I decided to move and start a different job and, just, you know, change some things about me. And I started dating again. Uh, I don't know if it was all the children being around me that gave me baby fever, but you know, <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it really just, you know, changed me. I was it was just beautiful, and I still talk to the kids too. They have Facebook and everything, and you know it's wonderful. Well, that's awesome, Billy. I want to take a quick break here um, and play our uh, HIV scoop with Josh Robbins. So uh, we're going to put you on hold for a few seconds, and we'll be right back uh, with Billy Eugene Willis. This is the all-new HIV Scoop with Josh Robbins, exclusively for Pause I Am Radio. This week's buzzworthy sexual health news in under two minutes. Here's Josh Robbins with this week's HIV Scoop. Well, hello, everyone. I hope you're having a great week, Robert, Brady, everybody. Brady, I feel like you've just been traveling all over the globe. So proud of you. Glad that you're my buddy here in Nashville. All right, if you stop taking HIV meds, will HIV rebound at the same rate across your body? It's a good question. The answer is no. Combined antiretroviral treatment in patients with HIV does not prevent viral load rebound in semen after treatment is paused. This is according to a new study published online in the journal AIDS. With this in mind, the investigators wanted to compare the timing of HIV rebound and its level in blood and seminal plaza after patients discontinued antiretroviral therapy. What was the result? Rapid and intense HIV RNA rebound observed very early in both blood and semen. Keep that in mind if you decide that you want to pause your treatment. All right, some weird and embarrassing news out of New York. Okay, so the city is currently spending around $23 million to promote HIV awareness. That's a good thing, right? They made promoting PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, a central focus 
of a $23 million investment in fighting AIDS. And they recently kicked off a campaign to get more at-risk women whose HIV infections in the city have increased as men's have decreased to take the drug. Again, sounds good. Here's the problem. Some of the city workers who tried to heed their employer's advice and get a prescription for PrEP, well, they were in for an unpleasant surprise. Some of New York City's health insurance plans do not cover the very drug its health department has evangelized. And Council Speaker Corey Johnson, who's living with HIV himself, is not happy. The mayor's office is pointing to the labor unions, the labor unions are pointing to the city, and it's all just a hot damn mess. I tell you, I love some real-world New York City drama. But honestly, guys, this is kind of embarrassing. I'm Josh Robbins. This was the HIV Scoop. And there you have it. Thank you, Josh Robbins. For more information on Josh and this week's HIV scoop, go to imstilljosh.com. You know, one of the things that he uh, did mention that I actually heard on the radio I kind of wanted to talk about, uh, Brady, was, uh, you know, the the new movie came out over, I think they, they released it, it premiered over in England about uh, Freddie Mercury, Bohemian Rhapsody, I think it's called. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. And one of the things um, that I saw was that there was HIV protesters there um, who were protesting really? the movie, saying that it didn't focus on enough on him being HIV positive. Do you think that's something that really we should be protesting? I mean, I don't know. It kind of rubbed me the wrong way, like a protest. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? You know, Freddie Mercury's life was, was a whole lot more than just HIV. I would, you know, I I know that my life, there's a whole lot more than just HIV in my life. Um, and with Freddie Mercury being a rock star and, and everything, um, I, I think it is important to mention and it's important to talk about. And it is a great platform for us to, to you know, to, to talk about. But to have just focused on it, they would have missed out on so much of Freddie Mercury's life and the impact that he even had on American culture. Um, so mm. I, I don't know if I would be one of those protesting. Yeah, me either. Billy, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I think it's important for people like us to have something to look up to. Um, but I don't know if I'd protest it as much. Just like you said, I'm more than my HIV as well. Um, but whenever there's a chance to give people living with HIV more media attention, especially in a good way. Um, I think it's important that they take every chance they get. <laughs> so I could see why exactly. people would be upset. <laughs> yeah, it makes good sense. Point. But then good again, point. I have not seen the movie. <laughs> no, I haven't well, either. And then also, I think, I think it's only there. Yeah, but I, I do plan on seeing that. <laughs> I was going to say, Josh also mentioned in the in the scoop talking about um, – HIV rebound after pausing treatment uh, in, in blood and semen. Billy, you do something very interesting with your blood. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I opened a art studio recently. Um, it's still in the works. But while I was at High Night this year, I entered into the art contest, and I painted the picture with my own blood. 
and it was very shocking. So I decided I decided to make a whole series this year, um, which I want to use to highlight the disparities and what keeps people from actually achieving undetectability. Uh, because as you know, like North Carolina, we just had our modernization, um, and it's kind of been controversial. I've gotten a lot of back feed, um, and not all of it good. Uh, because the, the law change, or the not law change, uh, the modernization, um, where people no longer have to disclose their status if they are undetectable, nor do they have to wear a condom. But then it leaves people that are um, not virally suppressed, they still have to disclose. But if they are having sex with a partner that is positive or on PrEP, then they do not legally have to use condoms anymore. So that's what I, I plan on doing this year with my my blood. <laughs> well, for that, for our listeners, um, can you describe the artwork that you did for the HIV Assault Crime Conference? Yeah, I just simply wrote, "I am not a weapon in my own blood." It looked like a murder scene, but it was very powerful. I swear. Well, I had I had to admit uh, myself when I first saw it, it 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 made me also kind of like take a deep breath in and it is <laughs> yes. it's a very very powerful piece of artwork Billy it's it's amazing um and not only that but it it won an award and what where is it i, I hear that it's traveling it's going to yeah. be in museums yeah on december 1st um through visual aids um out of new york it will be in over 100 museums uh the the video of uh you know, everybody that won that day. Um, so I'm very excited about that. It really gets 100 museums across the United States. So I was, so, I was very so proud Billy, of that. Billy, let me ask you, where did you get the idea to paint with your blood? Um, I, I've always wanted to do it, honestly. Um, uh, I just feel like it's very active. I can't really claim it myself. I don't know where it just popped in my head. But I just I've always been fixated on, like, you know, doing protest art, and that just seemed like, you know, what's more, you know, out there than your own blood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and well, it is, I, I it definitely is very heard powerful. the collective gasp, <laughs> like whatever, when it yeah. was revealed. It's very, very out there, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. what an honor. What an honor, though. There are many artists out there today that, you know, have spent a lifetime um, producing amazing artwork who never get to be displayed in in a museum or in an installation in a museum. So I know you have to be very proud of that. Oh, I'm super proud. It really inspired me to do more. And that's why I opened the art space that I just uh, did. I think it was like a month and a half that I've opened it now. Um, so I figured I'd have some place to do my art and maybe, maybe more, more greatness will come out of it. Well, is this uh, now, your, now your artwork installation? That's not going to, is how's that going to work with your, kind of non-traditional regular job of of being a, <laughs> a heat and yeah, air guy an HVAC technician <laughs> oh gosh we're right now it's super yeah. busy at work <laughs> because it's you know cold finally um but it, it worked out great actually my boss is super supportive um I had worked for him before and it was like literally when I got diagnosed with HIV I had just graduated college um, and got my license for HVAC and I had not found a job just yet. So I got sick and I didn't think I would actually be able to do HVAC because of how sick I was in the beginning. 
and the whole immune system thing freaked me out, crawling under houses and stuff. But now I actually do take a lot of pride in my job because not everybody could do it. And that's just like in general, not everybody could do it because it's, it's pretty intense, you know, being outside well, all day. I, I know me personally, me personally, I'm not a fan of, of small spaces. So there's no way you can get me to crawl <laughs> under houses and no way. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Yeah. It's pretty butch. I'm not going to lie. I feel proud of it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, it's intense. It's super intense. Like I'll be in attics that are like 180 degrees, and then I'll be in crawl spaces that are a couple couple foot high, and I'm like a little sick myself. So sometimes I get worried I might get stuck. <laughs> and then you run into that occasional pause. I wonder how. Never happen. But yeah, not only are you breaking stigma, breaking stigma of HIV, you're also breaking stigmas and stereotypes of of gay men and homosexuals around around the globe by about this little quote bitch job that you call it. Um, so that's amazing. That's amazing. little job I do. Yeah, little uh, job you do. I, yeah, but my boss, he's super supportive. He knows that I'm living with HIV. Most of my coworkers know. Um, my boss even, you know, hangs out with my boyfriend sometimes at the bar. <laughs> so. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's. You know, it's really great and. You know, Billy, we love you here, and I think that, um, you know, like I, we spoke earlier, I met you at uh, Positive Living, and going to conferences is something you spoke about earlier that you guys, you know, you kind of do as a support thing. Um, what are your favorite conferences to go to? And then, of course, obviously, I want to hear about Positive Living and your experience there because that's, you know, our favorite here at the show. Yeah, that's actually my favorite also of all time. <laughs> I just love Butch McKay. He's just amazing like the work he does the compassion he has for people it really shows in his work and the way he just when he's there he's just a big bucket of tears like <laughs> i love butch <laughs> like it's, i could tell it's an emotional experience for him and it just that makes it even better for me because this year he contacted me um i wasn't sure if i was going to be able to make it and uh he contacted me to make sure i i was able to come and uh i got down there uh through butch's uh great connections and and it was just amazing. I actually got to do a couple of interviews, um, uh, you know, a memorial video because uh, there was a lot of loss this year, or this past year, um, for the Oasis team. Um, and then I got to interview Dab Garner, which was absolutely amazing, uh, just to be I able to spend time fun. with him. <laughs> it, it was it was amazing. Like that's why I like to go there because you get to meet so many people. Um, that you look up to online and yeah, never think that you can actually meet them in person. And then you do. And it's like Facebook and, you know, media, it's just a small glimpse into that person. And then when you meet them and you realize like, wow, this person is just bigger than life. Like, and dad Garner is that definitely is, a And you realize moment. too that they're just, that they're real people. They're real people. Yeah. Like, yeah. Know, we all put our pants on one leg at a time. That's, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and then you get to, you know, hang out, and we get a little loose, and you get to hear even better stories. <laughs> so <it's just laughs> yeah, <interesting>. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's a conference, you know, for us and by us, basically. Um, you know, most people coming are living with HIV, uh, so it's just like a big community event, really. It's it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I definitely love Butch and that whole uh, team there down at Oasis. So one of the 
uh, things I want to ask you before we let you go, Billy, is um, what do you do for self-care? Self-care? Oh, gosh. Um, usually I will just the day off and just do me. Um, and that's something what I had to learn. What takes the day off from, like, um, social media and everything? Everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah. And sometimes it'll last a week, sometimes two, maybe even a month. Um, sometimes you just have to do it to keep yourself sane and grounded. Um, Absolutely. And that's one thing that Honduras helped me a lot with. Uh, before that, I felt like I was really just suffering from emotional fatigue, just constantly helping people deal with their emotions, and it made me just numb to it. Um, and then when I went down there, um, like, I really noticed it a lot more, uh, that it wasn't there, and that whenever I was back home, I wasn't nearly as engaging as I should have been. Um, so now I take the day off and just live my best life outside of helping people, and it makes me a better person. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Billy, thank you so much for joining us today. And you have to send me a photo of your artwork so I can post it on our Twitter and, and, and Instagram so people can check it out and, and they can see it because uh, people are asking where can they see it at. Awesome. <laughs> Definitely. All right, man. Thank well, you so much to for join uh, you joining us today. Of course. Thank Thanks. you, Billy. We appreciate you. There you go, Billy. Uh, you are awesome. Thanks again. Uh, so one of the things I did want to talk about um, with uh, you, Brady, is, you know, we had fans from all over. We were talking about being in different countries and speaking and, you know, things of that nature. And I was actually pulling up some of the stats of the show when I was looking at it. And, you know, we kind of have a, a, a pretty big following, actually, in South Korea um, and also the United Kingdom and Norway and in Australia. So I just wanted to kind of say hello to our listeners out there. And if uh, you guys are ever interested in coming on our show, contact us and we would uh, – you know, I'd love to connect with you, but thank you for tuning in from so far away. It's really cool to, to to see that, to see where people are tuning in from. It is, and it's it's a great honor to to know that we are reaching people just not here in the U.S., but all around the globe. Yes, it's awesome. That's because, you know, HIV affects everybody around the globe, so it's important that this message, and that's why we do it here, especially on Block Talk Radio, where it's archived and you can listen to it for free afterwards, and, and people are just tuning in and and, and learning. So I'm excited for next week. Um, you have to follow us on Twitter to find out who our guest is. Um, the lineup will be up shortly. Brady, another great show. It was so great to sit down with you. I'm going to uh, play out the Positively Fearless and then our exit. And that'll be the end. All right. Well, listeners, thank you all again for listening and can't wait to talk to you all next week. Thank you, Robert. That's right. And yep, enjoy the rest of uh, that wedding you're going to right now. <laughs> Thank you. I'm headed there now. <laughs> All right. Have a good one, man. And everyone else, you can find more information about the show and myself and Brady at pauseimradio.com. Life isn't meant to be perfect. It's meant to be lived. Freely. Boldly. Fearlessly. It's meant to honor all that we are. Vibrant. Beautiful. Resilient. And HIV positive. Yes, the road can be tough, but it's worth it. We are worth it. And our stories matter. Together, we are redefining what it means to live with HIV. We are accepting ourselves, loving ourselves, and caring for ourselves. Fully and openly. 
Because making thoughtful choices enables us to live the lives we want to lead. Together, we are facing every challenge and celebrating every success. We are looking toward the future with purpose and promise. And we're showing others what is possible when we, when we, when we are positively fearless. Thanks for listening to Pause I Am Radio, your dose of hope. Connect with the show at pauseiamradio.com or on social media. And we'll see you next time.